Hi, Natalie. Hi, Jenna. Hi. So this is our first ever episode of Mothers Talking. And, um, and we wanted to kind of start at the beginning, I guess. So we thought we would look at the first feelings of motherhood and having your first baby and what that all felt like. Mm. I can physically remember, oddly, even though it's now 19 years on, the sensation of whole, her solidity and her herness that she was a person. I, I maybe I'm in the minority here, but I had not planned on that. I, I had no idea that a human that she'd be such a human being. I don't know. I just had this baby idea. I suppose mm. that's great. And I don't know what I thought a baby was, but I just, I just thought, ah, oh, sweet, a baby. You know, it'd be lovely to have a baby. Mm. And then there she lands. And, I, and I'll give you a physical description of like what, what so my husband left. And that's when I first really remember the feelings. I think up to that point before he left, it was a bit blurry post-birth. And they had wrapped her up and put her in the plastic cot. And um, I think I struggled in this way about midnight with this sense of knowing she was mine. Mm. And I went through this quite long, dark, lonely night of circling the plastic cot like I I didn't even pick her up I mean it's really awful now I look back at the, what I was feeling not the ownership I just could not one it was over remote I was I was overwhelmed I suppose but also I just couldn't I didn't know how to move into it I, I don't know it wouldn't have particularly helped having on there I think it might have helped if I'd had my partner there I think mm. um but maybe it was just a rite of passage I had to move through it on my own and so there she was, fast asleep, little eyes, like, I think they look like leaves, you know, they mm. closed, they were really like almondy closed eyes. She was utterly still and silent and sleep wrapped up. And of course, I, I, there was an immense sense of wonder and all that, but I, I almost wanted to sort of prod her with a finger, you know, it's like, because <laughs> I couldn't believe she was skin and... Yeah, really. that, that really, oh my gosh, I didn't realise you were going to be a human being. You know, that, that was a bit of it, okay? Yeah. And then finally about 5am, which I, maybe if I'd had more support, I might have done this earlier and I wish I had. I sort of tentatively picked her up and laid her on my chest and laid back mm. and breathed in her hair and her, her scalp, you know, that sort of sense of the head under your nose. And I remember, I can really remember letting out this massive long sigh, as if I'd been holding my breath all night long. Mm. And so, oh, okay, you're mine. You're mine, you know. And what I love when, I, when I'm support, when I'm with mothers now, and I always, I'm always jealous of, is that sense of realising that people worry about bonding and stuff, but actually physiologically your body is moving into that protective fierce protective custodianship you know and I think I'd imagined I'd be more in my head but actually your body says I'm gonna look after you now your mind to look after so I really remember that and I re and the other things I remember of those first days was really just being like a spaceman on the moon <laughs> I was like <laughs> big slow movements like unable to do normal things like I mean, maybe I never know if I'm just a hysterical sort of person, but it was all massive to me. Yeah. I just, as a picture of me on the, 
on the sofa with my nighty, just looking completely stunned mm. but in a good and bad way. So in a good way that it was like I was in love, mm. but in a bad way was I, I remember like going to the toilet. I take her with me <laughs> and I put her in, in, in a, in the, I, well, I was carrying around the house. So I'd, Oh, how do I get to the toilet? And people think, Oh, how is that possible? But it's because, separation is even at that level kind of strange. Now, I don't mean a gushy, I think people imagine it's a gushy, like, oh, I love them, I can't be without them, I can't be apart. I actually felt quite separate from him in some ways. I, 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 I was a bit like, uh, I wasn't in, in uh, bonded in that sort of mental, oh, I love you, I love you. I was in this sort of, oh, who are you? And what is this? And what is, uh, and then I remember somebody said to me, she was crying. And my mother-in-law said, here's your mummy, here's mum or something, go to mummy or something. And I was sort of looking around wondering who she means, you know, who, who's, who's the mum? What mum? Me? Me? So I'm afraid, I don't think I'm absolutely average. I think it's typical of me that I went into it with, A, I wasn't really prepared. I kind of run into things and then get a shock after. I did no thinking before, no preparation. I just was all about the birth, didn't think about the baby. So I probably wasn't prepared. Secondly, I am, I'm quite emotionally, I'm quite set on, and then it all kind of comes out in a gush. So I think I was just going through a very accelerated um, realisation of what had happened, which is my life as I'd known it was gone. The me as I knew me was gone, but not, not in a bad, I don't mean in a, in a loss of self, although there was a little bit of grief of that, but, but that's it for it. That's it. I'm a two now. Mm. But I think what you just said, it so beautifully captures what it feels like because it's not instant. You're not instantly a mother, are you? Like you are physically, but your emotions have to catch up with that. And it's like the way you've portrayed it is your journeying to catch up with that moment. Yes. And, and why should it be instant? I mean, I think it's actually took me years <laughs> to be like, Oh, I'm a mum. <laughs> I was really backing off from the responsibility of it all. I did not. That was one of the things that I remember that really sort of slammed me was that I'm responsible for this tiny thing. And whatever happens, I'm in charge. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not an in-charge person. <laughs> I've never been a boss or a leader at camp or that's not what I do. So oh, then I was- Did you know that's exactly, I remember, do you know what? That's made me feeling funny because that's exactly, I think the same as me. I'm independent, but I don't like to, I like to kind of head for the hills when I need to. I like to, yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm, a, I'm a runner, I'm not a runner aware, but I like to run things on my own terms. And of course now one is accountable in a sense. Yeah. And every choice you make matters. And everything you do feels like the world's going to end if you get it wrong. Yes. But of course it doesn't. And, you know, most decisions are fine. But I can remember being so troubled by decision making, everything. I, I was just completely, like you said, maybe not space for me, but like, um, like I was in a washing machine or something. And I was just... <laughs> tumbling around and I, I couldn't land anywhere and I couldn't make a decision I couldn't it was just so that interests me can I ask you so 
often people associate that with perfectionism, but I think you're right that you've nailed something there, that it's not, some people will feel that need to get it right from a sort of mother perfect thing, which, but mm -hmm. I think what has also dogs a lot of us in those days is you're right that there is that everybody surely first time ha has to go through what is initially perceived as a loss of freedom mm. and so it's not so much that everyone says oh i want to get it right but that that's the secondary bit to it that you want to get it right because suddenly it matters so much but actually there's also other things going on which is the why me you mm. know you know i remember a friend of mine who was very honest and she said, I find it a shock to be that needed. I don't like to be that needed. And she actually made arrangements so that she didn't have to be that needed. She didn't want to feed um, because even that, even the breastfeeding felt a bit like, like she had to be the only one. And she didn't, you know, some people have that feeling or she had to have a, a, a mother's help, um, not quite a nanny, but somebody who helped because she couldn't even be, she found it a just that need, like you say, that their dependency on us, which of course we can say many beautiful things as well, which comes to be one's, I mean, there's nothing like it in all the world, actually. And, and, and I, say, I, say, I say to people now, like, you have never been so loved. I mean, literally physically, you know, even with a partner or one's own family, that you are the center of their world. And that is mind blowing. You know, and one knows that physically, but you're so right. You've got to catch up mentally and emotionally. Physically, one sees it instantly that they crawl onto your tummy and there they are. And, and no one else is enough, really. I mean, there can be and you can, it could be and arrangements can be made. But once one has to dive deep and go, oh, right, that's my tummy, my breast, my arms, you know, my face you want to see. My... And amazing it is too. Yeah. It's also quite amazing. It's like, whoa, isn't it? What did you struggle with most? Like, did you mean time frame-wise that you wanted pri mental privacy is what I missed? I didn't mind the quiet. And I, I think because I am a bit of a natural free spirit, I need a bit of tethering. Like, my husband's my tether. Otherwise, God knows where I'd be. But I think because the baby, that felt restrictive again I guess that freedom element that is what I found really really hard I felt like I couldn't yeah probably linked to mental privacy and space but I couldn't yeah I couldn't get the space I needed but then in the same breath I could not put him down like it felt so normal to me to have him in my arms 24 7 like he was at the boob on me or in my bed and that is where I was most relaxed when he was near me. If I was separated from him, that's when I panicked. Yes, it's always mad then. So it's a pull in two directions then. <laughs> it's, it's always directions. the paradox, isn't it? That's motherhood. There's always like dual feelings. And it's probably because there's the old self and the new self. And, you know, they're kind of always mixing. So you get, you get that kind of clash. So, yeah. So interesting. That's exactly it. And I was the same. And I... I, the other thing I remember from those first days and weeks is I thought I had a very textbook idea and bear in mind this is 20 years ago so there was already um well Gina Ford was at the height and but even if it hadn't been I think I was very conventional so I just thought babies went in cots and I thought babies went in prams and I thought babies you, I remember my first night in fact I probably I found this article that I wrote for a magazine at the time because I was a journalist and it says um our first night home started well. We made some food, 
and our evening looked much as it had always done, save for the small bundle of brand new person in the chair at our feet. I, I felt like an inept, inept, an inept and clueless castaway without the first idea of how to start a fire. It is, I think, how every new mother begins. We laughed nervously about it, Danny and I. I adjusted her blanket a little in an effort to make it all feel a bit more real. <laughs> and then, what do we do now, he said. I wasn't sure. It was time for bed, and yet the idea of simply bringing her with us felt too obvious, like a game we were playing with the terribly expensive Tiny Tears, which nobody will remember Tiny Tears, but it was a doll that we had in the 70s. But it felt doll-like, you know. And so I fed her and then put her in the Moses basket because I just went, well, that's what you do, and then we go to sleep, and I'll feed you in two hours. And there was this complicated, because, of course, she then cried because I put her away from me. Mm. And, and the thing is, is that, and also she was doing that second night thing and realised now as a doula, the second night madness, because she was trying to get the milk in. So mm. that's something nobody prepares you for, because then you think they literally explode like a bomb, don't they? They just cry all night. She just needed to be on me, but I kept trying to put her away. And so you're right, there was this, why aren't you doing, what are you doing? But meanwhile, if I brought her to me, it made sense. Mm. But I also then had that conflict, the standard conflict of, oh, but is that the right thing to do? But you're right, the ease came and the calm came, even though I still had the, the slightly claustrophobic feeling mm. I mean, in all those coming days. But it was usually resolved mostly by me just sit, sitting down with her, either having her in the sling or on my tummy or lying next, you know, on me in bed. But I fought that maybe more than you did because I was still very undone then. It was still, it, it was, people whispered about, bed sharing in a kind of like mm. as if it's the most sinister plot sort of the, not plot sinister behavior you know oh my goodness you know, it was really seen as odd mm. and then thanks be I was saved but um what's so dumb is it felt so synergistically what's that word synergistic when everything comes into line I felt mm. I felt the closest to sanity I could feel when I just had her in the slinger on me even though my mind was still whirring with a little bit of Gape, it was fine it, it made more sense but I would then try and get it right and get her in a daytime naps daytime naps obsessed me <laughs> obsessive she never slept in the day and of course like all human beings the more I may try to make her the more she wouldn't so that was a I had lots of problems to solve did you I wanted to mm -hmm. solve naps I wanted to solve wind i wanted to get with the night all those things it was all she was she was like an equation like a mathematical problem and i was continually i'd wake up with that day's maths problem but this is so the power of like information and stories because like you said when you had constance gina ford was kind of at the height when i just before i had ed a really good friend of mine annie gave me the continuum concept when i was pregnant and literally that probably saved me in lots of ways because that's all about holding your baby basically until they crawl away from you. And all you have to do is hold them and meet their needs. And that's it, you know, which seems simple, but it's true. But to do that, you have to give in to so much. You have to ignore your resistance and ignore that old self and ignore everything else that's out there. But because I'd read that, and I knew how good it was for babies to be constantly held and be close. That really empowered me. So when everyone said, oh, you know, that I was getting the comments, you know, oh, you could put him down occasionally and 
you know, all that kind of stuff. But I knew it was okay. But if I hadn't of, I would have been at a complete, um, you know, in opposition with my own self. And maybe it's what you say about the body knows. Our bodies know to hold that baby. But our minds are resisting. They're getting in the way. They're overthinking. They're, you know, tuning in that other information that we've heard from so-and-so. But our bodies knew. Because when we held them, we felt right. Yeah. So, and then the conflict is then um, exacerbated by the fact that quite naturally you feel a little bit of a need to bolt. That's natural. Yeah. It's, nat it's natural as you adjust to new motherhood that yeah. you're going to feel a little bit of, oh, I just want a bit of me time or whatever, or a little bit of, oh my gosh, the responsibility. That's natural and that will adjust and you'll find ways to get that back. But when it comes in with this very, which still exists, that there's a right way to do it, the two together are a perfect storm. And then you end up with this, as you said, actually, I think you're right, a washing machine is much better than the moon thing. I just remember it feeling very balloonly unreal, like as if I couldn't hear anyone or gravity. No, that's gravity. That's yeah, the washing machine thing is exactly it. Were, 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 were. But you're right. So I also was released by a book, but just like it's interesting that mine came. Um, I got given the book, just like your friend, at the point of birth. And it mm -hmm. sat on the side and it sat on the side and it sat on the side. And then about seven or eight weeks in, we, were, we, we managed to get in a car and we were driving somewhere and she was asleep. And it was like, oh, you know, I mean, we would literally be. We had a lot of chaos in the first weeks. I mean, I would drive her around and try practically run red lights because if I stopped at red lights, she'd start crying, right? It was like that, you know, I had to have a continually purring engine unless she went to sleep. So there was this sort of level of, uh, you know. And then Danny looked to me and he, he saw a big, I wasn't even crying, just big ploppy tears were falling out of my eyes because I was so tired. I was getting two hours a night. Mm -hmm. I had all that washing machine feeling going in out, but meanwhile, my body was tired. Mm -hmm. wearing in my head sedated in my body and he went what's wrong and I was reading the just the first page of three in the bed and my friend had bought it for me she'd said read this read this read this and I don't know I was just resisting I just couldn't bother with reading anything at this point and then just the first page was so what's the word approval giving so so generous so open so expansive it was like i could breathe and all she said it was she just was it's the author lovely what's her name deborah jackson jackson just said i tucked her in beside me tucked my baby in beside me and and someone kept put it was in hospital put her, her head around the corner of the curtain and said now now mrs jackson make sure you put your baby in your cot and she went yes yes okay and then curtain drawn and she said and me and Francis looked at each other and, you know, and it was like, I was tears because that's all I wanted to do. Mm. But I had, it wasn't specifically family with that judgy, but it was just a feeling of, you said, the cultural feeling of, but then I, isn't that the habit? Isn't that going to be a bad habit? Isn't it going to, and actually I'm not saying that it's right for everybody. Some people will have a side lie or even a big cot and it will work for them. But clearly my baby was giving me a message, which is I don't want to be in there. And yeah. that fighting that, and anyway, so like you, then once I had that okay, and I felt like, okay, you know, let me get some space here. And the other massive turning point for me was reading that Maria Montessori, yeah. she studied the human tendencies, as she called it. And she came up, I think there were six human tendencies. And I read this, I was in the library, in Putney Library, and I read the front of this thing. And it said, these are the things 
that all human beings do biologically is just they're programmed end of story and one the only one i remember was every human being wants and is designed and driven to gain independence from its parent that is in in our dna to want to move on out up away you don't you can do nothing to stop it you know they are little it's like a flower growing towards the sun mm. and once i knew that and it wasn't down to me to teach her to be independent to teach her good habits of self-sufficiency to teach her into strength and stamina and like know how to be in your own body and reverse that and basically you teach them how to experience life by um, making them safe and secure and attached and then they relax and then they settle into their body and then they start to experience the world and then they move on and away from you i did it i think most lots of people in traditional Eng in english culture do the opposite didn't they you know force yeah. them out force them away and then and then and then there's studies show don't they that by a year who aren't sort of pushed into things too early cry less and more you can sort of see it I think I mean I know that starts sounding like a dogma. No, yeah you're totally right because that was something that came up in the continuum concept because it was you know about holding the baby but they say when they're when their needs are being met obviously they're more relaxed so the more they're held the more they smell their mother the more they hear her breathing the more they're with her the more the baby can relax and if the baby is more in a relaxed state they're more engaging with the world they're more absorbing the world around them they're more concentrating on what you're saying or do you know what I mean? They're open to take in the world because yeah. all their needs are being, their physical needs are being met. Whereas if they're always scrappling for sort of getting those needs met, they can't learn in their world because they're kind of a little bit stressed. Exactly. It's a bit like when you divert blood flow to, you know, like um, to keep warm, you put a coat on because then it saves your body energy. It doesn't mm. have to keep stimulating the, yeah. the, skin, the surface of the skin to keep you warm. So mm. you save energy and then you've got more, you know, if, if it, 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 it makes sense with so many things. As it, the parallel is exactly the same, isn't it? Basically conserve, don't, don't have your baby unnecessarily invested in things. It doesn't need to be, doesn't yeah. need to keep their energy. tread water. Yeah, just to, just to be able to tread water. And you can see, I mean, recently I'm finding so many, what, so what, tell me what's your experience at the moment with, um, so where, where are we? Let's date this. So it's you know January 2021, and I don't know whether you as a doula see this, but I see the mood change all the time. And of course, we've dealt with this year with with, with coronavirus and lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing changes. We've seen um, you know certainly people are not trying to do so much in their first weeks of motherhood. So that is definitely proving to be a bonus because they're not asking so much of themselves. There is some some people are saying that babies are putting weight on more or sometimes breastfeeding. Oh, I mean, th there are different opinions about this, but in my experience, I'm seeing definitely more easeful mothering. Definitely the slide into motherhood is going better yeah. compared to I've got to get to the gym. I've got to meet my friend at the NCT class. I've got my doctor's appointment. So it's served in that sense. What, what are you seeing emotionally, how people are transitioning into that new role? Well, I think it's it's both sides of that. It's like what you said. There's definitely some ease. I know lots of mums who I've spoken to talk about, you know, they've got no FOMO. There's no fear of missing out of anything because no one's doing anything. Yeah. And that takes so much pressure away. So much pressure of I should be here, I should be there, I should be doing this. So that, I think, is huge because you can just do what you need to do. 
and not compare and compete and you can kind of relax in that sense um but then on the flip side of that i think there's the mothers are kind of there's loneliness obviously because you know they are isolated and i mean i know i found my early days once andy was back at work so he just went back straight away after two weeks that was it i was on my own and it was painfully lonely and that's when i had friends and coffee shops and you know the nct girls or whatever and i still found the days were long you know days are long years are short but the days were really long and if you're sociable and you like to chat and <laughs> like adult conversation and there's no adult conversation but then I guess at the moment, dads are home more, which is a huge bonus. That's true. But, you know, they've got, they've got their partner to talk to um, and, and their dads are around for their, you know, they're not having to rush back after paternity leave. So again, that another bonus. Um, I think with the breastfeeding, it's definitely, in my experience with my postnatal mums, they've got more space and time and there's no pressure with visitors. So physically i think it's working well but the thing that comes up still which is a bit of a a running theme i think is women doubting their milk supply i don't know if you get this but it seems such a big thing and i think back to my kids and i just i didn't question my milk supply and i i don't know why i didn't but i just i didn't um so but I see it all the time, like almost every single mum. And as we know, a low milk supply is actually a really rare thing. But there's this, I think it's how often they feed, how little they sleep, you know, in the beginning. There's this belief that we're doing something wrong. And actually, it's just how it is. It's just so how it is. counterintuitive. I mean, it's so back to front. I was talking, you're literally so right, because I did this conversation with somebody yesterday so it's so pertinent that you're saying it in fact i decided she hasn't had the baby but i was getting in advance precisely because of this reason because i said look there's literally a syndrome almost you can't mm. see the white flowing milk. you're in your head you're imagining mm. this sense of seeing it you can't see it right mm. and then what what happens is a baby naturally has crying well, crying but agitated um periods during the day when they want to be picked up for the reasons we were just saying reassurance mm. it's so easy in the first week or two weeks to interpret that as not enough milk or hunger when actually what it is is just the need to be close mm. and then and it, and it all kind of gets muddled up and mm. then if you're also still trying to establish breastfeeding which may be going and probably is going actually really pretty well because it's mm. a learned process and it takes a few weeks because of the doubt factor people very quickly downgrade their that, 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 that so they, their perception is glass half empty like mm. literally the milk's half empty you know so so the feeding is sore or difficult but we're learning but hang on then the baby is sort of seems to be not having enough and they just they lump it all together mm. and then how quickly it's like oh well i must need formula then i'm inadequate i, I, I my, my milk supply is inadequate but you're right it's it's like how it's so difficult and yet so obvious that if the baby's even vaguely gaining weight, and that's fine, that they, they, they go in, as long as they're ready to go in the right direction, has poos and wheeze, there you have it. That's what I remember thinking for myself. I didn't even notice anything else. Is That's mm. it. Mm. And if I'm wondering, as you're saying it, and thinking, is something going on at the moment? It's a different form of anxiety that we might have had. 
which is the world feels very uncertain. Mm. Um, you've got the immediate certainties of home and simplicity of home because there's not much to do. And so there's a nice predictability to life. There's certainty there, mm. but there is a much worse state of macro uncertainty due to the virus and all the issues out there. Mm. So as a result, it's like the world isn't, it's like you can't rely on stuff. So you sort of doubt things. And I wonder if it's a kind of, it's like getting a bit big scale, but it feels very primal in the way you just described it. I find it's very primal. There's this kind of, if they stopped and thought about it, nature would have to be super cruel, wouldn't it? To, that, that, that all these women had not enough milk. Yeah. And now the other thing is, is you can see it just by hand. Well, even if you can't, I couldn't express actually, so it might not be a good way to see it, but you can feel, you can see the baby's putting on weight. So you have the proof and yet still people to default to the doubt more than they will. Well, yeah, you know, it must yeah. be working. I do think there's like quite a big misunderstanding about newborn behavior though because you still get people all the time even practitioners you know everybody still talks generally about two to three hour feeding generally mm. and my babies they fed exactly. round the clock day night definitely in those first couple of months and and beyond mine were feeders they just they just love the boob but you've made me think of something jenna do you know what if i had a friend round right and we were trying to talk and that was giving me my little bit of me time mm. i would put her on the boob because and here's here's how fascinating babies are to me if i was talking to a friend make no mistake a even few days old baby will experience your distraction mm. and they start i think a baby will even start doing what i call the squeaky door like <laughs> if they kind of feel energetically, you've turned away from them for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. So in comes a breast, very handy. I would put her on because she was then getting direct me source. Yeah. I'd be having my conversation and she was look up at me, even like, you know, even when they're very tiny and she was feeling that energy. I'm mean, she's close to my body. She's a, mm -hmm. so there's an example of like, actually everybody's needs are met, you know? Yeah. Um, but, how easy is that interpreted? Well, I fed you, you know, it can't be feed time. And now the baby starts crying instead of just squeaky door. And now it looks, oh, why are you crying? There's so little understanding of the baby needs. And I read this in the book um, before we met and I wanted to read it, hang on. So it says, don't forget that the baby inside the womb is constantly stimulated by the pressure of the womb. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know we know this when we talk about womb to world shift and they've got to get used to light and movement and sound. But let's really remember that the containment of the uterine muscle, you know, that's why they love enfoldment. They love closeness. They want to feel stimulation. And I always say to my mothers that, they, that the mothers I support, they go, okay, they hate silence and they hate stillness. And that, and you're not spoiling them, obviously, by continually giving, which is obviously the British, usually the British fear, that sense of you're giving, you know, they've got to get used to them. They've got to be used to being quiet in a, a cot or a Moses basket on their own. But actually, no, why? They ease their way to that over a period of weeks and months. But initially, and this is what it says, being touched and held is essential as it gives them a sense of their own existence. Mm -hmm. so, so they come into their being by having your arms against their body and your breath like you said on them and you're chatting and you're worried so as I'm chatting to my friend I can picture my body 
is doing its movie, moving stuff. It's and she's jiggling against me with the feed as I'm expressing myself. Which she feels, it feels familiar to her. She feels safe. Yeah. And yet it's so sad that it, how easy if I hadn't done that and then you put them away, oh, why are you crying? Oh, you must be hungry. Duh. You know, these false conclusions mm. all the time. It's crazy that the moral reflex and the squeaks, I was, I was thinking, what, what can we share with people? How, where does this get discussed? With that, by any midwife appointment or antenatal or postnatal, the noises a newborn makes is mm. something people don't talk about. People talk about crying and mm. sleeping. Mm. But there are, an infant I mean, a range of noises that a newborn makes that came as a surprise to me. Mm. The, and like the little twists and I want to say, I want to say flinches. So mm. flinchy bodies, that's their nervous system isn't attuned and coordinated yet. Mm. So they flinch, not just morrow jolting out of the arms, literally like little twists and turns. Mm. And if we were to stop and think of what's happening in their body, that their nervous system is having to coordinate independently for the first time ever mm. it makes sense that therefore they're going to make funny noises make funny little movements mm. um, and sort of sometimes that reaches a point where what they're saying is contain me yeah definitely they're saying they're saying contain me smooth me out mm. and if i was to imagine neurologically what's happening in their body and i know we're, this is a this is an audio so people can't see what i'm doing with my fingers <laughs> It's a bit like, first of all, they're okay, okay? And then, and they might drift off. But as we see a baby start to surface from deep sleep and you're like, oh, they're waking again. This thing, what's happening? The nervous system is kind of looking to make pathways and then they're not used to that space around them and they're not used to the, the kind of energetic vacuum around them if they're in, if they're in a Moses basket or something. I can remember as I used to put Constance down, it was like her body couldn't make sense of it. Yeah. yeah. She was just a lump of weight. There's nothing around her making sense of it for her. Mm. That's as mothers, what we're doing is we're making sense of their own body shape and body being and body feeling for them. And it takes weeks, doesn't mm. it? It takes at least 12 weeks to really get them integrated. Mm. And then don't, do you remember how amazing it is when you, and we'll talk about that in another time maybe, but that sense of when they come into their being is extraordinary when you suddenly go, oh, you're you. And, but it takes some time, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes a long, long time for them to, I think they just, it, like you say, it makes sense when they're with you because that's where they've been, you know, in womb for months and months. So when they come out, everything makes sense when you're around. And I think it's, it's sad that we often feel we have to disconnect that so early. You know, we're just, the messages are that get the baby in the motor bus, get the baby in the cot, put the baby down, don't hold the baby, don't hold the baby, don't hold the baby. And actually physically, emotionally, everything, that's what they want. That's what they need. It's appropriate. Um, so, so thinking about, sort of we're coming to the end, aren't we? So thinking about how can we sort of help mothers feel that they can I guess follow their own feelings and trust themselves and I guess how can they find permission to listen to their own voice because like both of us we found books to help give us permission to our own voice 
And you think, why can't we find that permission for ourselves, just from ourselves? <laughs> you know, why couldn't we follow those feelings completely without any outside kind of influence? But, and these days, I think we have so much outside influence, it's suffocating. You know, social media, books, experts, everything is telling us we are not the expert. We, are, we don't know what we're doing because we need these books and these tools and these gadgets and these high-tech crazy things. <laughs> when, I mean, something I get asked all the time is, um, you know, how, how do you test the baby's temperature? And I always, and, I've, and it's always the way I've done it with my kids, but I'm like, just get a baseline, touch your kid. Like, what's their ba what is their natural baseline? Like, how do they feel? When they're hot, you'll know, because you know their temperature from your touch. And that's called intuition. It's called what's common sense combined with intuitively listening and being, I mean, listening with, with, with every part of yourself. That is, that is motherhood, isn't it? That you're, 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 you're in and around them. And people are in that. I think once it gets, once there's a barrier between the mother communicating in an ordinary, healthy you know direct way mm. so a machine comes in like those machines that they have they have a, some kind of um sensor don't they for when the baby's mm. not breathing or these things i mean they're not get thank god they don't seem to be taking off too much but it, it they those things come in the way and as you say then there you've got all the whatsapp mums in the morning 25 questions of telling everybody saying what they're doing social media mm. it's like whether it's a social sense or it's a, it's it's a consumer aspect to do it this way don't do it that way so many interfering messages or a social worker who said you know um this, currently there's an obsession not social worker sorry health visitor with heat and blankets and i just say they said well how will we know like you're saying you know, because you know when you're warm you know it's just common sense don't be a human being you know just trust yourself but going back to what you just said i'm very interested in that which is so would you say that the way to um build i don't even want to say build mother confidence because even that's a pressure but accept your accept where you are in the mothering transition let's put it that way so you don't have to it doesn't you don't have to get confident i mean that takes time you know just be where you are yeah. is first of all limit stimulation then do you think like um i think definitely control your outside sources absolutely but i think the key if anyone's listening to this pregnant i think you've got to practice it it's like yoga i remember really tuning into myself a few years ago and i started to test it like with silly things, well not even silly actually, things that really worked. Like I don't cook with recipes, for example. You know, a recipe is that like link to a gadget. You're using something outside of yourself to cook. But well, if you learn good. how to cook, I know you're, you're, you're a, <laughs> a brilliant cook and I'm sure you do it by instinct all the time, but it's like, if you, if you learn to cook by instinct, it's so different. Cause- Taste it, taste the food. Taste it and you're using your senses and your, tuning into yourself and what you like. And I often don't put timers on food and I, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I feel it when it's ready and I taste it and it's ready. You can do that in pregnancy. You can start pulling away from the outside sources. You don't always need a recipe. You don't need a thermometer. You don't need a gadget because you can use your touch and yourself and your instinct 
But I do think these days it does need practicing and it gets stronger and stronger the more, more you practice it. But, you know, if you haven't tried it, you know, like we all have gut reactions to everything. We always have a gut reaction and most of the time we ignore it. Whereas I, again, I practiced it. I started listening to my gut all the time and just seeing if it was right. And it was <laughs> every single time. But you have, you have to take that leap of faith and say, I'm just gonna trust myself on this one. I'm just gonna go with how I feel and let's test it out. And if you're scared, you can test it on little things. And then your gut reactions get stronger and bigger the more you trust. Because again, it's what you always say to me, your body knows. That gut reaction is your body going, something's not right. Or yeah, go for it. You feel yourself leap to something or you feel yourself contract. And that's your yes and your no. But we're not... funny that people assume that it. the instinct word and um, has become, even, even this, in these sort of alternative and whole health and um, well-being days the word instinct is still treated with some dismissal in the sense of as if it's wob waffly and yet the joke of it is is instinct is survival mechanism so it's like it's never is nothing more accurate it's what's kept us alive for two hundred thousand years as a human race far mm. more powerful than cognition it's it's what's going to tell you whether something is a poison or not it's something that is dangerous out there that you know of course instinct can run out of control and you can start having irrational fears but i think by and large if you practice in the way you're saying you're so right and that my um so it's, in, uh, it's so perfect because you're saying that and what my was going to offer to mothers as a, as a as a as a way to anchor themselves is reciprocity so the baby and you are a unit right and so first of all we've got to listen to ourselves but also we've got to remember that this is a relationship mm. and recently i've been trying out with um, some of the mothers I've been working with and families is don't be scared. They go, I had a woman this week and she actually got tearful while pregnant mm -hmm. saying, what if I don't bond? <clears throat> what, what if I don't in the, she described it very well. She said, what about in the fast paced, slightly chaotic first days? I'm so taken up with all the learning that I don't bond. You can see where they're going with it. Mm -hmm. And she said, I've got to get all those things right and I've got to love them properly and all this type of thing. And I sort of, and she was, she actually, big tears started falling. She was so anticipating failure. It was amazing. And I said, you know what? It's a bit like when you met your partner or anybody, it's a person you're meeting, not a baby. And there's nothing frightening about meeting a person. It's just exciting. Mm. Um, so first of all, understand and listen so it's what you're saying listen to yourself but i'd say watch the baby study the baby not not in a homeworky way i mean just be with them we're looking at their eyes their skin we're studying them completely naturally is then looking back at you and you're looking at them and they're looking at you and then you'll say i had the dad sent me a film this week where he's talking to his baby of only a few months and he goes ooh, and then the baby goes Ooh, back. And you know, there's this mirroring thing, which is mm. beyond, um, amazing to watch. Um, and then he goes twice, ooh, ooh, and the baby went, ooh, ooh, right? So this is a tiny four or five month old. Mm. And people don't know about this, but of course it's the greatest thing to mirror because then you go, oh, you're not just lying there waiting for me to look after you. 
you're in relationship with me. I mean, I know this sounds daft maybe to some pregnant women because some, some first time mothers may say, well, that's obvious, isn't it? But they don't yet know how quickly the doubts come in and how quickly baby culture comes in and how quickly the judging mood out there comes in to tell you there is a right way and there is a way, way to mother and you have to be this type of mother, which drowns out all this reciprocity stuff and how it's just relationship and, and trusting yourself. But yes, but trusting yourself in relation to what you're seeing, just like you would if you love anyone and be with anyone. Love is a verb in the sense that it's not just, just, oh, I need to love my baby. Well, it's, you, you're in relationship and that's what creates the belonging, the belonging to each other. And, it, and, it, and it, there's nothing like it. There's a very interesting man called Raymond, Ray Castellino, um, who he is a, he's a child psychologist and he gets mothers who may be having some issues with whatever, even even trauma from birth or not connecting with their baby or whatever. And he gets them to lie down on the floor, not even on the bed, that's what I love. Put the baby on a nice, comfortable, big blanket or something, lie down next to them and just stop. And if the baby lifts the right arm, you lift your right arm. And if the baby turns the head to the right, you turn, you know, you, you turn to meet them. So they're looking at them. Mm. And just mirror their movements. Mm. Their fingertip, touch their fingertip and they'll touch yours. You know, slow down to the pace that the baby's moving. Even just to get in the words of Dr. Sears and Sears, you know, the baby book. Yeah. He said, get behind your baby's eyes. Yeah. And if you get behind your baby's eyes, of course, that's, what we all do when we're with our partners or our relatives, our friends, we're trying to see their perspective. And then by seeing their perspective, they see our perspective, mutuality, relationship. So then everything else falls into place because once you get behind your baby's eyes and they know that, and then they want to know what effectively they're trying to learn you, you're trying to learn them. Mm. Relationship. So many of the doubts vanish. So much of the I shoulds, I could, I must, I need, all that vanishes because now you've got the pleasure and the joy and the tiredness and the exhaustion and the frustration, but there will be like any relationship up downs, but at least it's just based on the reality of you and them rather than something or somebody or some book out there giving you a sense of preemptively getting it right. Like it should be like this. It should be like that. That's like getting married and settling with somebody and imagining that the, book is going to shape your marriage you know it's like you know like and also it's like you say relationship it's seeing it as a relationship and not as a role because yeah. often we we think of it you do I remember doing it too you sort of think of it as something to do but it's not something to do because it is a relationship and you're in it together and as much as like we've said trust yourself you're talking about trust the baby if yeah. the baby's rooting it's hungry yeah. You know, you don't, you don't have to question it because the two hours, three hours schedule is not saying they should be hungry. Um, I'm going to admit, which I always feel embarrassed about, but I remember I would have big periods of, um, I'm going to say that awful word, sort of boredom. Now, some boredom isn't natural, mm. but I would get it quite like a heavy feeling, like a, like mm. a medium. I think that was to do with the role. Mm. I think because there was nothing... You know, if I just relaxed and just let the day unfold. But I remember thinking, what am I supposed to do? Do we, because they're, they're pre-verbal. Do you chat away? Do you sing a song? Mm -hmm. Which I wanted to. Of course, I naturally wanted to hum a lullaby. But sometimes I didn't. 
and that's fine because I'm in my you know but I didn't get that and I thought oh no I'm gonna it, I would get up in the first 12 weeks and I would sort of do it like a job a bit mm. not always but until I learned my lesson but I was being the role of mum mm. and the moment that is what creates more boredom less it's joyless it's mm. heavy my husband calls it about anything that you try to do like like a job he calls it um he prefixes the thing and then puts weight after it. He says, if you try to be in love, it's called, he calls it couple weight. Mm. You know, baby weight, mother weight. Mm. It's weight, isn't it? It's like a heaviness to the job of it. You feel you have to rather than you're choosing it. Mm. You know, you choose a relationship, don't you? Mm. But you have to mother. It's like, it's a totally different mindset. Mm. And I think if, yeah, if you're in that place of choice and relationship, it feel it just feels different doesn't it and i remember seeing this lovely new mother in a film once called um into invitation to intimacy and she goes she had the baby slung on her top of her shoulder with a little muslin you know that lovely feeling and she's sitting mm. she was she went and the interviewer must have said so how are you managing what are you doing and she just went oh you know we just see we just see how the day goes and she, she kept giggling Oh, the joy in this woman's face. Aww. She wasn't, there's nothing about getting it right or having a non cry baby or a baby that sleeps. She was, she just went, she sort of made a sigh noise as if to say it's hard as well, but yeah. we just see, we just see how the day goes. And she laughs and she pats the baby's back. And then she looks at the baby and she says, don't we? Yeah. And then the baby was like two days old, something. no, not two days, two weeks old. Yeah. It was like she was talking to it was like well we just we just do it together we just do this together don't we baby and uh, that is the key isn't it i wish i wish i had known that and it took i, I thought i was i was lucky that i've worked it out i suppose by about 12 weeks but i wish i'd had you know you sound like you did you just went no this is the way it's working from the off and i did second time and third time but if we can give a gift through mothers this podcast through mothers talking it's like yeah just as you are really just as you both are lovely so we'll leave it there for this week shall we leave it on that note and um we'll be back soon (laughs) 